Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Listen, your president has been an amazing friend to me. Uh, had some physical challenges early part of last year I'm, I'm still dealing with. Uh, not mental, that's obvious, but physical things that I was dealing with. And uh, he, he checked on me. Uh, he, he prayed for me. He encouraged me. And I've had the privilege of praying for both he and Charlotte as they have traveled the world uh, as a great commission president. This is a going seminary. You are going to a going seminary. And I, I trust that you know that and understand that that'll be a part of your DNA for the rest of your life. But I so appreciate your president and his wife, uh, Charlotte, for the way they have cared for our family. I trust you have a copy of God's word with you. Uh, if you do find John chapter four, a passage that's extremely familiar to us. Uh, if you're using something electronic as I use, I'd appreciate it uh, if you put that on silent or uh, vibrate mode. A lot of times I tell the, the people in our first service at Spotswood, it tends to be the older service. If they don't know how to put it in vibrate or uh, airplane mode or silent, if they would stop by the preschool and children's department on the way to the service, they could show them how to do that. But you don't have one of those departments here. Uh, so I'm just going to have to trust you uh, to trust your neighbor for help. John had an amazing ability, and I think it was a God-given ability magnified by the Holy Spirit moving as he wrote the fourth gospel to include a story within a story. When, when we read the fourth chapter of the gospel of John, our tendency is to focus obviously on Jesus and the woman at the well and that conversation that they had. But the disciples were actually a key part of that story. And when I read through that story, what happened in their life kind of convicts me and confronts me about some things that need to happen in my life. I, I don't know if I have ever said anything in a sermon uh, about the disciples and their part in that story except saying something that's derogatory about them. But the more I thought about them and the more I thought about this opportunity that I had to share and encourage you today, the more I realized I think all of us as disciples could probably learn some things from these guys. Now, I thought about chapel. And, and, and I don't know, I, I began thinking about chapel when I was a student at Southwestern Seminary. And the more I prayed and the more I prepared and the more I thought about the years that I spent at Southwestern and went to chapel, I realized I don't remember anything from chapel when I was in Southwestern Seminary. I mean, it's just a blur. But I'm sure you're probably a lot different student than I was when I was at Southwestern. And you're going to remember a lot from chapel speakers that you've had before and chapel speakers you'll have next week, not necessarily today. But I did take something from chapel when I was at Southwestern. One thing that I heard. Now, I was going to school full time. I was actually working for the school, uh, doing construction work. I was pastoring a church, Alexander Baptist Church in Alexander, Texas. It was at the intersection of a, a state highway and a farm to market road. And that was it. God taught me so much uh, serving that amazing church. 
the guys that I worked with at the school, whenever somebody really had a financial challenge or a bill came in unexpectedly, we had a gentleman's agreement that if they contracted work, that we would work with them. There are a lot of times that when I got to work the next afternoon, my, my tool belt was still well, wet from working the night before. But what I heard in seminary, with all those things going on in my life, and I do not remember who said this, but it resonated with me then and it's proven more true through the three decades of ministry that I've had the privilege to participate in. That your years in seminary will be the least busiest years of your life. Amen. And I'm like, that's, that's nuts. Like, do you have any idea what I'm doing? And over the years, you know what I've kind of figured out? Busy is something that you do to you. Four years of college, seven years of seminary. I have never had a class on being busy. I've never read a book on being busy. But, but somewhere along the line, I guess I probably taught myself or maybe picked it up myself. I am an expert being busy. And I'm going to guess because we're probably a lot alike. I just have a few more years of seniority on me than you do. Every one of us in this room have a tendency of being experts at being busy. And, and, and what I know is this. Busy will make it hard for you to do what you plan to do when you graduate. If you do not now do what you plan to do, once you graduate, it probably won't happen. When I get busy in my life, I need a reminder that I'm a disciple and that not only am I a disciple, but I'm sent to do something that Jesus talks about toward the end of that conversation that he has with that woman at the well from Samaria. And this is really, I think, when the disciples are kind of thrust into the forefront of the story. I'm going to pick up Matthew, Matthew, John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, to them being the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do, do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? And, and my favorite Bible word in the New Testament, I think, is that word behold. Because basically what it means is whatever you've got going on in your life, whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking about, you need to stop. Because what comes next is extremely important and you don't want to miss this. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you will enter into their labor. This is a critical teaching moment for the disciples. And when I'm busy, this is a critical teaching moment for me. Living a gospel-centric life is more satisfying than anything else you will ever do in life. You know that. That's why you're here. I know that. that that's why I'm here. But every now and then, I, I just need to come back to a passage like this and be reminded that, that the fields really are white to the harvest. So it's, it's, it's kind of simple. 
We're, we're disciples. And we're sent. So that's the end of the message. I hope you have a great day. No. <laughs> it, it, pastors complicate the simple, right? But I hope I can just encourage us to think through the simple and see a couple of things that I've seen in my life and my ministry. I, I, I love what Dr. Lawless has on at the bottom of the web page, I found a quote from him. Our job is to tell others about Jesus. Part of the purpose of this seminary is to fulfill the Great Commission. How are you gonna fulfill the Great Commission if you don't tell other people about Jesus? Four quick things. Listen, wherever you and I go, we are there by the will of God. Thank you, China, there by the will of God. Spotswood, there by the will of God. Here in this room, you are here by the will of God. Jesus knew that he was sent. Jesus knew that he was sent by the will of God. Verse 34, he said, I'm here to accomplish my father's work. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've been asked, how do I understand God's will? I know that you wrestled with God's will when you made the commitment to be a part of what God's doing here through your life at Southeastern. I have no doubt that you have talked to pastors and perhaps professors since you've been on campus trying to find out what's God's will as I, as I graduate. Will it be to, to plant a church or, or to pastor a church or to go to an unreached, unengaged people group? What's God's will? But our tendency is when we use the phrase God's will, we always add a prepositional phrase to it. What is God's will for my life? Lose that. Lose it. I lost it years ago. If you are gonna live a gospel-centric life, if I'm gonna live a gospel-centric life, we just need to understand God's will. And then we make adjustments, major and minor adjustments every moment of our life to be in God's will. We really push our people at Sponswood to be in connect groups. And Judy and I are in a connect group. We host one at our house. And we're actually going through Blackaby's experiencing God right now. And that helped me understand how broad God's will is. Maybe I missed something, but in the generation that I grew up in going to church, I got that God's will was about, uh, about as wide as a piece of dental floss. And if you got off of God's will, he could never use you again for the rest of your life. And that terrified me. And I think I brought that into seminary. I think I brought that into the churches where I pastored. I certainly brought it into my relationship with Judy and being a father of Laura and Meredith. But over the years, I've understood that, you know, God is always at work. And I, I thought that that came from Blackaby or perhaps maybe Piper, but it actually came from Jesus. <laughs> Gospel of John. God's always at work. And you're here by the will of God. So whatever it is that you're doing right now while you are in Southeastern, as you think about where you're headed when you leave this place, let me ask you, let me encourage you often, look up and see that wherever you serve, the fields are white to the harvest. In this event in Jesus' life, was it the people coming out of the village of Sychar? Was it the fields? Irrelevant. The fields are always white unto the harvest. Question. When was the last time you had a gospel conversation? Off this campus, outside of a classroom, 
not with your spouse or classmate. When was the last time you had a gospel conversation with someone who had no clue that the gospel's good news? I have a friend, Dr. Mark Talbert, who teaches at New Orleans Seminary. And I have learned from Dr. Talbert and I've challenged not only the guys I serve with, but our church to pray the Monday morning prayer. Some of you may already know the Monday morning prayer. It's pretty simple, it goes like this. God, would you today put someone in my path, if not today, this week, put someone in my path so I can share the gospel. And God, second, when, when you put someone in my path where I can share the gospel, give me boldness to actually share the gospel. And third, God, would you, would you work in that person's heart and, and draw them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever prayed like that? Because those are the kind of prayers that God answers. And those are the kind of prayers that help you and me understand God's will. I believe it's God's will for every person in this world to have a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be here today. I, I wouldn't get up in the morning if I didn't believe that. If you're wondering, well, when was the last time you had a gospel conversation? Monday night. Because our, our, our pastors go out visiting every Monday night. Well, who do you go with? Pastors. If we are not modeling what we are asking our people to do, our people will not do what we do not model. So I sat in the apartment with a young man who's just started coming to our church with our college and young adult pastor, and we had a gospel conversation. Now, he gave a clear biblical answer to the questions that we were asking, but we had a gospel conversation. That's God's will. Have gospel conversations. I, I love something Spurgeon said years ago. We must school and train ourselves to deal personally with the unconverted. We must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to the irksome task until it becomes easy. It is biblically impossible for you to spend however many years of your life that you spend at this seminary and never introduce a lost person to the person of Jesus Christ. Biblically impossible. Second thing that I see here in this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, not only is being sent part of God's will, we need to just remind ourselves that wherever we go, we are really sent. Verse 38, Jesus said, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. That, that word sent, it's used twice in this little section in John's gospel. And the implication is that something happened at a certain point in time. And because of what happened at a certain point in time, it's still making a difference. The fact that Jesus came is really making a difference in my life. And, and the fact that Jesus came absolutely must really be making a difference in your life. I promise you, if you have an opportunity to have a conversation with one of the professors here on this campus and you ask them, is the fact that Jesus came making a difference in your life, every one of them is going to tell you, yes. When Jesus stopped at that well and sent his disciples into the city to buy food, do you realize Jesus sent his disciples to a place that they didn't really want to be? That's dangerous. We have a tendency in our lives as professional religious people, because that's the way the culture views us, we have a tendency in our lives as religious people to avoid those people whose lifestyle does not agree with our 
lifestyle. Yet as you look at this event in Jesus' life and you read the gospels, he is drawn to those people whose lifestyle didn't match his lifestyle. And I have to be, you have to be drawn to those people whose lifestyle doesn't match your lifestyle. That's why Jesus reminds these men, he reminds me and you as disciples, we're sent. And that's part of the will of God. As a pastor, and you may have already experienced this on the campus of Southeastern. Our staff talks about it all the time, professors here in this room. There are decreasing opportunities for us to build relationships with non-believers. It's hard for us sometimes to actually have conversations with non-believers. And, and what Jesus shows me as the disciple and the disciples who were walking with him in his earthly ministry, we need to make sure that we are so sensitive to the people who are around us that we have time enough to listen. And if you notice with Jesus, when he listened, he never seemed to be busy, but we're busy. If you listen to people, God will give you an opportunity to have a gospel conversation. Let me tell you the story about April. I have a lot of people, guys, other pastors in the area want to get together for lunch. I try to skip lunch at this stage in life. Long story, you don't need to know that. So I say, I hey, can't do lunch, love to do breakfast. I think God created Cracker Barrel for breakfast. It's not in the New Testament, it might be somewhere in the maps, but uh, most of my, I, and I have my own table, I have my own table at Cracker Barrel. And for the last eight or nine years, it may have actually been longer, April has always been my waitress. And I'll sit down with a guy and uh, she'll bring what I need and they'll order and then she'll walk away and they're like, you're not eating? So you just say, well, I'm actually fasting this month and I'm, uh, she knows my order. She knows exactly what I want. She just brings it to the table. I have shared the gospel with April. I have prayed for April. I've gotten involved in her life and understanding what happened with the premature twins that were born who are actually in the second grade now and on and on and on and on the story would go. Had breakfast at Cracker Barrel in December, didn't say a word to April. I'm standing in line with one of my good friends, Ken, we're checking out. She put her hand on my shoulder and I turned and she said, now don't fall out. It's okay, what? She said, what time's the Christmas Eve service because I'm coming? Now you gotta understand eight, nine years. Everything I asked April to do related to the gospel, everything I shared, she always was resistant. So I told her, I said, listen, I'll be back Saturday morning. I actually live there. Be back Saturday morning and I'll bring you one of the cards for our service. So I brought her the card and sure enough, I told her where my wife Judy sits and she was sitting next to Judy for the Christmas Eve service. But let me tell you what happened on Saturday before the Christmas Eve service on Sunday. Got a, a, a text message from our IT guy. Someone had sent an email to the church website that said, I really need to get in touch with the pastor and included her name. He said, I don't know how to handle this. Do you know this person? I said, absolutely, I know her. Got her phone number. We had a conversation for over an hour. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the chaos of her life. And on Saturday, December 23rd, 2017, April met Jesus Christ through a gospel conversation. I, I believe I was sent to that Cracker Barrel to have that gospel conversation with April. And it didn't happen quickly like it did for Jesus, but it happened according to God's will.
and April's born again. Now, listen, her life is still in chaos. Her life is in a mess. And we cannot avoid those people whose lifestyles we disagree with. Their lives are in a mess because sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Don't forget that. Listen, we're sent wherever you go. You, you, you go by the will of God. And those people that you encounter know that you are sent to those people. Jesus listened to this woman. She lived in a place where nobody listened to her and nobody talked to her. Everybody was in the habit of talking about her. And she had adjusted her lifestyle to live without any conversations. So when Jesus first spoke to her, it startled her. Another burden that I have in my life as a pastor in the 21st century when I look at the first century church, I realized that the gospel was spread through conversations. And in the 21st century, because of our addiction to technology, we are losing the art of conversation. I was in a restaurant this past week. I picked up lunch. I saw a couple at the table just to the left of me. And the whole time I was there waiting, all they were doing were texting. She was cute, the guy not so much, but you would have thought he would have been trying to engage her in some type of conversation. Do not give your best time to technology. It's not worth it. There is nothing more satisfying in life. This is what Jesus taught the disciples than living a gospel-centric life. I don't know where you're going to go, but wherever you go, you're there by God's will. Wherever you go, and this is a ascending seminary, go conference next week. You know, I need to do better on the days that I come for chapel. I said, yes, I'd come in February. February is the month at Spotswood that we preach on money. You can't come here and talk to seminary students about money. I can't preach last Sunday sermon or next Sunday sermon. If I'd have come next week, I could have stayed and hung out with the college students at the GO conference, but they would have wanted me to buy food for them all weekend, so I'm not going to be here for that, so I know how that works. Third point, we're just about done. Wherever you go, hey, listen, please, wherever you go, honor. Honor those who labored before you, we need to learn how to honor those who labor before us. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, I'm sending you to labor where others have labored and you are entering into their labor. That word labor, it carries the idea of, of something that is exhausting, something that is extremely intense. What, what, what a privilege that, that the disciples, they're just, they're just joining Jesus in what he had already been doing. And, and, and for those of you in this room who are going to graduate and, and serve the local church, you might want to memorize verse 38 because it is a humbling privilege to enjoy the fruit of someone else's labor. I, I, I didn't learn that when I was in seminary. I, I, do, I did not learn how to handle what I would inherit. Very first church I served, and I've had the privilege of serving four, three of those four churches, we followed a long-tenured pastor who either retired or died. So I guess I got two options when I'm finished serving, but <laughs> help the folks in the back, they just got it. The very first church I served, the night that they called me, Brother Spears came up and he put his arm around me. And he looked at the congregation and he said, this is your pastor, not me. I'm retired. 
Don't call me, don't bother me, don't ask me any questions. This is your pastor. And, and I realized what a privilege, how humbling that was for him to pass the mantle to me and to communicate to the congregation that he knew I was the pastor. Did I hear stories about Biggie? Absolutely. In the churches where I've served, have I heard stories about the pastor who went before me? Absolutely. I've learned how to enjoy those stories because this is something that I am inheriting. And what scripture says in verse 36 is, the one who sowed and the one who reaps, they can live in that joy together. So I live the joy of some of those who went before me and dealt with things that I will never have to deal with. Well, handled problems that I'll never hear about. So if you go and join a staff and you follow someone, please learn how to handle what you inherit. One of the other things I appreciated about Biggie Spears, he came to me four or five months in and he, he looked at me and said, now son, because in Baptist church, you do know this, we have assigned seats, right? I don't know if you do that chapel, but he came to me and said, son, now if you look out there and you see that I'm asleep, just realize I've reached the point that I trust you to handle this. So I guess those of you who are asleep, trust me to handle this. So. Last thought, last thought. Wherever we go, when we leave, please, leave wherever you and I have been sent healthy. Our college, our, our, our children's and preschool pastor, David Short, he's been at Spotswood 20 plus years and that's his word as he describes Spotswood. So anytime he's ever asked out in the community to describe Spotswood, he'll always say first word is healthy. Hadn't always been that way. I, I inherited a church that was more focused on come and see to the neglect of go and tell. And I had no doubt that God sent us there to move that pendulum in a, in a different direction. And you know, when, when the pendulum moves, it never stops at the middle. It kind of always overcorrects. So whoever follows me may say, gosh, all that guy was about was go and tell. And I'm pretty good with that. Friend Brad, a number of years ago, we were really focused on taking the gospel off the campus out in our community. And he finally got up the courage to have a conversation with a cashier at Walmart on a Sunday. And he looked at her and he said, and you have no, Brad's about 6'4", probably 280. He works for the FBI and we'll just leave it right there. Brad said, so how, how's your day going? Scared to death. His voice is not like that. She said, you want to know how my day's going? I hate Sundays. Of course, he just come from church. She said, all you church people come in here in your church clothes and your attitudes. I hate Sundays. Now, Brad's not had a gospel conversation since then, but <laughs> when he shared that with me, it broke my heart. Because I realized that a lot of the people who are in that Walmart on Sunday are some of my people. And, and they're, they're us people because the culture looks at us as church people. And, and I think the culture has a right to expect something different from us as church people. 
who, who, who realize that, that a gospel-centric life is more satisfying, it's more fulfilling, it's more exciting than anything else you can do in this world with your life. End of the story, and there's so many other things that happen with the disciples that I'll, I'll just leave to the Holy Spirit to bring to your thought and mind and study. The people from that village asked Jesus, would you stay with us? And, and he stayed two more days. I, I would love to know what happened in the life of the disciples those two days. Because remember, the first time they set foot in the village where they spent two more days, they were in a place that they didn't want to be. And the text doesn't tell us, but I think it's fairly clear when they were in that village, they never said one word about Jesus. What would two more days with Jesus do for you? It's easy to be on this campus and talk a lot about and read a lot about and have conversations about Jesus to the neglect of actually spending time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more time I spend with Jesus, the greater the impact will be on our families, the greater the impact will be wherever it is that God sends us. Let me remind you, any discipline of study can be an invitation to neglect our time with Jesus. And if it happens here, it'll happen out there. So just wanna encourage you. Because you are in a going seminary and you are here to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission, so you're gonna go somewhere. And wherever you go, you are there by God's will. You are there because you are sent there. And you're not the first person there and realize those who went before you, they made sacrifices you will never understand. And please know wherever it is that you go, you will go there as an answer to someone's prayer. Wherever a church needs to be planted or a pastor is in transition or an unreached people group needs to be engaged, there are these persons of peace, but there are people there right now praying that one of these days you'll show up. You're gonna go there as an answer to God's prayer. I thought I'd stay at the very first church I served. I didn't know what kind of ministry God mapped out for us, but it's been a blast. But when we left that very first church, I believe it was healthier than it was when we got there. I know that you know doctrinally and theologically that God's at work. God has been, always will be, and is right now at work. Let's just make sure that we do not let what we know override what we expect. Because I came here today to share with you in chapel, although you may not remember a word I said, I came here today expecting God to do something through your life. Have gospel conversations. 
pray the Monday morning prayer. Go and God be with you. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.